0: Thank you, how you guys doing? Good, it's good to be here with you guys. I kind of feel like, I don't know, especially in this room, just like you all, this is my first time in this room, kind of feel like a little family, like, you know? I'm excited to be here with you guys. It's really an honor to be with you. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to share with you and um, I'm really excited to get to share something with you that has deeply impacted um, my life. Honestly, a lot like the story that we saw um, you can experience the transformation from brokenness to being restored. And, and I'm really excited to get to share that with you. Far and away, the number one reason why I love to preach is because I believe and have seen personally the transformative power of the gospel and of God's word. And I'm, I'm just excited to get to share that with you. Um, most of you don't really know my life and background, and as much as Matt uh, sung my praises, Um, If you don't know me, let me just say I haven't exactly had the cleanest route to becoming a pastor. Um, I'm best, if there's anything, at sinning. And it just happens to be that God is a much better Savior than I am at sinning. Amen? Right? We need that. Um, But there, there, there were a lot of nights, if I'm honest with you, there were a lot of nights where I sat exactly where, okay, different room, right? But I sat where you are. And I felt broken. I felt defeated. Um, I felt overwhelmed. And the reality is I was wearing myself out in life, going my own way, really rebelling against God. And God's favor, have you ever heard that term, the favor of God? God's favor was just about the last thing that I felt I was experiencing in life. I honestly got to a point that I questioned whether it was even real. And it was only by actually walking away from God. Like I I, I had a true faith crisis where I got so frustrated, I got so fed up with God that I decided, you know what, I'm not even sure this is real, I'm gonna try the other way. And it was actually through walking away from God and, and my mistakes that God proved himself. Real. And and trust me, that's not the route you want to take. You would much rather have God prove his reality to you through blessing than through correction. And I still see that as grace and I'm thankful for it. But man, if I could save some of you from taking that path, or if I could help pull you out now. That's what I want to do tonight. That's what I want to do with this message. And I really think there's something in this message. um, No matter where you're at, um, you know, you might be dealing with something in life that leaves you feeling like what I've described. Um, Whether by circumstance or by consequence, you might feel defeated. You might feel that sense of desperation. And so really, I can't wait to tell you about the favor that God has for your life. I can't wait to tell you about the blessing that God has for you For your life. I really want to just jump to the very end of my message. I'd like to skip the whole thing, jump to the end, and just tell you that God has good news for you that God has blessing for you, that he has amazing things for your life, that you you might be overwhelmed by your circumstances, but God has overcoming purpose for you. You might be overwhelmed by frustration or anxiety, but God has overcoming peace. You might be overwhelmed by sin, but God has overcoming grace. God wants to overflow grace in your life. He wants, as we'll see a little bit later, he wants a celebration of spiritual abundance in your life. That's what I want to tell you right now. But the reality is, I know because I've been where you are, that some of you are not ready for that yet. Some of you are are honestly just not ready to hear that. Some of you think that it's too late or you're too far or that God somehow maybe just isn't big enough or he isn't real enough or he isn't good enough, uh, that there just isn't a way out of whatever kind of messy or frustrating situation you find yourself in right now. And I want to share a message of hope with you this evening, uh, along with an approach to life that can lead you to living in the abundance of God's grace. It's not too late and you're never too far. It's not too late and you're never too far. That's the message I want to share with you tonight. It's not too late and you're never too far. Sometimes we get ourselves in situations in life where we feel like we're too far from saving or or it's just too late for our situation. Have have any of you ever felt that way? I have felt that way. And, And the reality is I think that we get there because of our approach to life. Because the angle of approach that we take to life. You see, I think... I know what will make me happy. I think I know best when it comes to my success and satisfaction in life. And we might say that God's word is true, but do we actually live like it's real? For most of us, we've heard the verse Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. For example, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, tell me if this sounds familiar. Raise your hand when this starts to sound familiar. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, yep, and lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight, right? So you've heard it, and we'll quote it, right? We'll even, we'll, we'll be at a coffee shop talking to someone else and we'll quote it to them. We'll tell them, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. But when the rubber meets the road, we usually depend on our own understanding. We take our own approach to life and then we get overwhelmed when the paths of life get messed up. And we wonder why, how did that happen? And it's no wonder then that we deal with anxiety or depression or disappointment or delayed dreams. We need a better approach to life. So I'd like us to look at a story in scripture that shows us that better approach to life. And and what we'll learn from each phase of the story, we'll see how God's abundant grace overcomes even the most overwhelming brokenness in life. So we're going to learn an approach to life. We're going to learn some perspectives to hold, some things to pray. So my points here are a little unconventional. That's why I'm saying that. First is, Father, I give you my faith and future. That's an approach we need to take. That's a way we need to live. Father, I give you my faith and future. Put your life in God's hands. Choose to trust him. Let him carry the weight of your life. Father, I give you my faith and future. And that's how our personal story needs to start today. That's how the story that we're going to read should have started. But it it doesn't, much like ours. Let's read the story together. Uh, Luke 15, 11 to 13. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after, the son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. So here we have a father who has life dialed in for his son, right? He's got property. He's got servants. He's got livestock. He's got a successful business. He has wealth and riches that he's ready to pass on to his son. He's got it all. He's built success around his son and has a good plan for his son's life, but the son doesn't want it. The son says, No, I'm going to go my way. I want my share now. Give me my inheritance now. You might as well die, is what he's saying. I don't need you. I'm going to go my way. The son is saying, My faith is in me. My trust is in me. I know better when it comes to my success and satisfaction in life. How often do we do this with God? I mean, if you're honest. You know, we read about the good plans that God has for us, but we still go our own way. Rather than accepting the future that our Father has for us, we take our faith out of God and we put it in ourselves. And by doing that, we short-circuit God's plan for our lives. And just like the Son in this story, we go our own way when we need to give God our faith and our future. Approach number two that we learn in Luke 15. This one hurts a little bit. Are you ready? My way is never going to work. My way is never going to work. This one stings. Say this with me, though. Okay, ready? My way is never going to work. It's never going to work. Luke 15, 13 to 17 says, The son set off for a distant country. He's going his own way. And there squandered his wealth in wild living after he had spent everything there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs that's an important detail here in jewish culture in the culture that this story is being told that's said for a reason pigs are one of the most disgusting disgraceful things to that culture and so for this person to get to a low where he's actually feeding pigs every day. The purpose of that in this story is this is as low as it gets. To the Jewish people who are hearing this story, that is as bad as it gets. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And When the sun set off on his way to prosperity and to pleasure, I'm sure... That this Jewish man did not imagine himself feeding pigs. The most disgusting thing to his culture. But the reality is, sin will always get the best of us. Sin will always, always take us further than we want to go, it will always charge us more than we want to pay. When I choose to go my way, the results are what you see in this story. God promises purpose and peace in life, but we make choices to go out of bounds, and then we get the mess and the misery that comes with it. And and the reality is, you have free will. God will let you go your own way, but you will never get away with it. Romans 6.20 says, when you were slaves of sin, you didn't have to please God. You see, he'll let you go your own way. He will let you choose pride. But look at at James 4.6. James 4.6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Anytime that we walk away from God, anytime that we rebel, anytime we step out of bounds, that is a decision of rebellion and pride. And this says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the the humble. I I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I chose in pride to go my own way. And looking back, I can see that in my pride, I was positioning myself in opposition to God. Now think about that, I I position myself in opposition to the creator of the universe. That's not gonna turn out well for me. Okay, if you're looking for the good life, that ain't it. Going your own way will only wear you out. Going your own way will only wear you out. And if you're here tonight and if you are tolerating any sin in your life, you probably already know that you are wearing yourself out. But how long is it going to take to realize that you are trading a life of God's favor for a life of frustration and failure? How long is it going to take to realize that sleeping with that guy or that girl won't actually satisfy you? or to realize that that bottle you go back to every weekend will bury you before it gives you any real sense of peace in life? How much longer can you squander your life in sin before famine hits and you find yourself feeding the pigs like the man in this story? I mean, really, how long do you think that can last? Pornography won't work. Partying won't work. Drugs won't work. Cheating and stealing won't work. And honestly, you might even be a committed Christian. Maybe you've been around challenge for a while. And yet you may be wearing yourself out in the futility of your sin because you won't submit one area of your life to God. What is it? Bitterness? Pride? Selfishness? Impatience? Anger? Discontentment? Worrying? Jealousy, envy, idolatry, worldliness. Some of you are waiting on a sign from God to get out of your sin. And I'm here to tell you right now that this is your sign. This is God telling you that you can go from broken to restored. And maybe you're waiting on a word from God. There are thousands of words in the Bible already given, given to you, telling you to go to walk in God's direction, to experience his restoration. Maybe you need a prophecy, here it is. This hurts, we're almost to the good part, I promise. Bear with me. Proverbs fourteen twelve. there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the human heart, my heart, me, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. My way? is never going to work. Take your faith out of yourself and put it in God. Submit to him. Choose to go his way. Choose to trust him. If you are frustrated or feeling stuck in life, it is probably because you are putting your faith in yourself rather than in God. The reality is you have finite ability. Your ability to get yourself going in the right direction is limited at best but God's ability is unlimited. With God, anything is possible. Jesus said that. With man, this is impossible, but with God, anything is possible. Take your faith out of yourself and put it in God. It's not too late and you're never too far. You have a way out. Look at this. Luke 15, 17 to 20. When he came to his senses. That's a beautiful phrase. I love that. Approach number three, the reflection of my heart should be this, I was wrong and I'm sorry. Your way is best. I was wrong and I'm sorry. Your way is best. It says when he came to his senses. Coming to our senses means choosing humility, acknowledging that God's way is the only way that's going to work. That's what it means to come to your senses. So I'm not just going to believe that the Bible is true. I'm going to live like it's real. I'm going to take God seriously enough to obey his every command. That's what it means to come to your senses. Then he says, I will go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and you. So I'm not asking for riches. I'm not asking for position. I'm not asking for status. I'm going to the father to say, if I could even be a servant to you, if I could even serve your purposes, that would be better than anything I could find on my own. You understand the posture of this person? I was wrong and I'm sorry. Your way is best. Now watch what happens. These are some of the most beautiful words in scripture. Luke 15, 20. But while he was still a long way off, some of you think you need to fix yourselves. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him but while he was still a long way off. Have you ever felt a long way off from God? I have. Romans 5, 8 says, but God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were a long way off, Christ died for us. While we were a long way off, Christ died for us. Even when we're a long way off from God, God's never a long way off from us. And it gets better. Look at this, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but is alive again. He was lost and his found. So they began to celebrate. And the son is just trying to get his apology out. Right, he's like devised his own plan about how he's gonna save himself. He's gonna go back to his dad and apologize. And he comes back to his dad and he's trying to get his apology out, but the father is so overflowing with grace that he interrupts the son and he yells to a servant, "Row, bring sandals, steak! It's time to have a party. And there we see, there we have approach number four that we can learn from this story position of my heart should be, your grace is amazing and your plan is awesome. I praise you for that. God has an awesome plan for everyone who turns to him. He has abundant life prepared for you. He's not just bringing you back into the family. That would be grace. This is mind-blowing grace. This is crazy grace. This is amazing grace. I love what Acts 3.19 says. It says, repent then and turn to God. That means to change directions. That's what it means to repent, to change the direction that you're going. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. There have been times that I was so worn out from going my own way, this verse felt like mind-blowing grace to me, that I could turn to him and he would refresh me. But what we see in the love of the Father is more than refreshment. It is rich, abundant grace. Look at Ephesians 1, 7 to 8. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. In other words, this is crazy grace to us. This feels like reckless love to us, but it is done with all wisdom and understanding from the Father. He knows exactly what he's doing and the amount of grace he wants to give you. And that's what we see from the Father in our story. He said, bring the best robe. Bring the best robe. And what he's saying is give him identity as a loved son of the father. Who here needs identity as a child of God? 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's your identity. And the father in our story said, put a ring on his finger. Put a ring on his finger. And, and they used a ring at the time as a, as a signet. You'd put it in wax and you'd use it to seal a contract. And what he's doing is he's giving the son authority to act on behalf of the family business. Who here doesn't feel worthy to act on behalf of God? First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession to proclaim the virtues of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who brought you out of brokenness into restoration. And I love this one. The father says, and put sandals on his feet. And put sandals on his feet. He gives him sandals to restore his dignity. Only a servant at the time would go barefoot. And even though the son thought he could only be a servant, the father wants to give him the dignity of a saint. Think about this with me. He gave him sandals to signify dignity, right? Do you know what makes sandals useful? Walking in them. Mind blowing, right? You know what makes dignity useful? walking in it, moving forward in the dignity that God gives you. And that's my encouragement to you is to walk in the new life that God gives you. Walk in your new identity. Walk in your new authority. Walk in your new dignity that God has given you. Don't live stuck in the old, but embrace the new. You may be broken on your own, but God wants to restore you, and he has in Christ. Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a brand new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, if you need restoration, that's it. God sees you as his own righteousness. That's the reputation you have with God if you're in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Lastly, in the story, we see Celebration. And the father in our story says, prepare the meal that we've been saving for a special occasion. And I want to say for you, God has prepared celebration for your life. He has prepared abundant life. He's prepared, it says in Ephesians 3, exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And all he's waiting for is a full embrace of Christ in your life. In John ten ten, 10, Jesus says, I have come that they, that's you, I have come that they may have life and have it in all its fullness. You know, reasonable grace might consider taking the son in accepting his apology, and then relegating him to repay his debt working as a servant. But this is unreasonable grace. This is crazy grace. This is the kind of grace where the father would drop everything, sprint to the son who disgraced him, embrace him, and all at once to everyone around him, everyone who watched him say, I wish you were dead. I'm going off on my own. He says in front of all of those people, give him identity. Give him authority. Give him dignity. We're going to have a party because my son was dead, but he is alive again. That's the love of God. That's the kind of favor that God has for your life. He has prepared that for you and all he's waiting for. He's not even waiting for you to make the full journey back. He just needs you to turn around and see him run out to you. There is no one in this room too buried in sin that they can't be made alive in Christ. And there is no one in this room righteous enough on their own to go a single day without the gospel. We all need this. I have one more short story I want to tell you then we'll wrap up. I want to take you to a place called Golgotha. Have you heard that word before? Golgotha means skull. Golgotha was a a hill outside of Jerusalem where criminals were taken to be crucified. And oftentimes at a crucifixion site, the bodies would be pulled off of the cross and just left on the hill. And so some say that this hill was called Golgotha because the hill itself looked like a skull. Some say that it was called Skull Hill because of what was left there. This is a horrible place. This is as low as it gets. This is life at its worst. And on a Friday afternoon, three men were taken to Golgotha to be crucified, and Jesus was one of them. Nearly beaten to death, carrying a cross on their backs, these three men make the walk up Skull Hill. And when they arrived with nails driven through their feet and through their hands, they each hung on a cross. And when you're on a cross, the weight of your body as you are hung with nails through your hands and your feet, the weight of your body would cause your chest to sag. You would lose strength over time. And it it would put pressure on your lungs. And so the only way that you could breathe, the only way that you could speak, is if you would use the nails that were driven through your feet and through your hands to lift yourself up so that you could get some air and speak. So you wouldn't speak lightly, right? And in this, there's a thief next to Jesus hurling insults at him, wearing himself out, literally inducing his own death, continuing to go his own way, denying that Jesus could save him. But on the other side of Jesus, there's another thief, and this one realizes that his way won't work anymore. And and he has something to say to the thief mocking Jesus, we see in Luke chapter 23, But the other one rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same judgment? We are punished justly, for we are receiving what our actions deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Approach number five. We need to say... Jesus, my savior, remember me. We need to have that approach. We need to have that heart. In verse 43, and Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, even if you are in a horrible place, even if you are as low as it gets, when life is at its worst, if you feel like you're living on Skull Hill, All you have to do is like this thief, look up and recognize that Jesus is right there and he has paid the price for you so that you no longer are a long way off from God. And if you take these five approaches that we've seen in these stories, what we've learned, you can pray these and you can be confident that Jesus will answer no matter who you are. No matter where you are at in your faith, everyone in this room, the reality is God has more for your life than you could ever imagine. And for everyone in this room, that begins with daily surrender to Jesus. That's the approach that we need to take. And that's what this prayer is for. Father, I give you my faith and future. My way is never going to work. I was wrong and I'm sorry. Your way is best. Your grace is amazing and your plan is awesome. I praise you for that. Jesus, my savior, remember me. We saw our first story end in celebration. Let's see how this last story ends in celebration. As Jesus is dying on the cross, he gave us three final words. We see in John nineteen thirty. Jesus said, "It." is finished. It is finished. This is a celebration if I've ever seen one. Jesus paid it all for you and me. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. He defeated sin and death. We are no longer a long way off from God because of what Jesus went through for us. We were bound in sin and now we have the boundless riches of Christ in our life. We went from failure, to, from failure and frustration to the favor of God. Without him, we would only ever live a life in misery and now we're a part of God's majesty. That's amazing. That's amazing grace. And so I wanna say whatever you're dealing with today, recognize that Jesus is right there and he's ready for you to embrace him. Turn to God knowing his way is best and prepare for the abundance of God's love and grace in your life. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your love and for your grace. And we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here, speaking to us, reminding us of your truth and helping us to walk in it. God, I pray that every single one of us would choose to humble ourselves before you, would choose to pray this prayer and would choose to live in the grace that you have for us, that we would choose to embrace the grace of Jesus Christ completely, finally in our lives, that we would experience the overflow of the Holy Spirit like we never have before and that we would be able to live a victorious Christian life for your glory and your honor to the ends of the earth.